This episode is made possible by Armoire. I love genius companies founded by women, and Armoire is one of them. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days, and then when you're ready for new clothes, you just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. To me, Armoire Armoire solves so many issues I struggle with today, the biggest one being accumulation of stuff. Let's face it, women want to feel on trend and fresh in their clothes, so we like to shop for new clothes often. But I also get overwhelmed when I have too much to choose from, which happens after years of shopping. I forget what clothes I have and I end up wearing the same thing over and over. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothing for every occasion and then send it back. Whether you're planning your outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room without ever having to brave a department store fitting room with those unflattering fluorescent lights again. Trust me, your overly cramped closet and the environment will thank you. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash heel. That's A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash heel to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to The Heal Podcast. I'm Kelly Noonan-Gores, and every week I speak to the leading doctors, healers, spiritual teachers, and scientists to find out what is truly possible when it comes to healing. I also interview real people with extraordinary healing stories. My philosophy is what's possible for one is possible for all. On today's episode of The Heal Podcast, I sit down with the beautiful Tiffany Persons. Tiffany founded Tiffany Company Casting, whose mission is to get to the heart of the matter by casting real people with real stories and real feelings about the brands they represent. Her work is changing the landscape of media by ensuring that all shapes, sizes, colors, genders, etc. are represented. We talk about why it is imperative to have diversity and representation in media and how essential a feeling of belonging is to our mental and physical health. Tiffany also founded Shine On Sierra Leone. We discussed the magic that unfolded when she followed a calling to do a documentary in Sierra Leone and the lives she has touched as a result. Tiffany is a light and a spiritual warrior, and I cannot wait to dive in. Hi. Hi. Welcome to the show. It's so great to be here. Oh my gosh. So wonderful to meet you. So nice to meet you. We were meant to meet, obviously. Truly. The universe had plans because I was connected to you through my friend Stacy. And the mm. minute she she had forwarded me a video that you did and I resonated so deeply and I was like, oh, yeah. I want to meet her. And then, yeah. you know, you watched Heal and was like, oh, I'm going to meet her. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. So here we are. So just for our listeners who 
aren't quite familiar with your work, mm-hmm. maybe you could just give a little, share what you do okay. and yeah. how you got to do the work that you're doing. Wow. Well, I am the founder of an organization called Shine On Sierra Leone. I also um, have a casting company for real people casting. That's the people that you see that are real family members and real couples and all that good, fun stuff. Tiffany Company Casting. And I'm also the director of empathy at David and Goliath Advertising Agency, which is fairly recent and a really extraordinary story of how that came to be. And yeah, I think that's... And I'm basically an vibrational, I like to call myself a vibration architect, an inner engineer. And that's my daily, (laughs) my daily, not job, but gift yeah, to be able to co-create in this way. I know. You said when we talked before this interview, you talk about how your life is your ministry or your life is your your work, your teaching, is you're embodying your, you know, you are a co-creator and you're embodying that and taking it into every area of work that you do. So I'm excited to talk about all of it today. Let's first talk about director of empathy at a (laughs) huge advertising agency. Um, Mm. What is that? Was that something you created and presented? Was that, how did that come to be? And what do you do? Wow. Well, as we know, the pandemic has given us so many profound shifts, we'll call it, right? You know, some have been painful, others have been remarkable. And during the revolution, right, last June, I picked up the phone and I called my friend David Angelo, who's the founder of David and Goliath Advertising Agency. And having been a casting director for the past 15 years, I felt so inspired to connect with him so that I could speak to the agency about the content that was being created. Who was at the table? Who wasn't at the table? I'm the one who's been for the last decade more receiving these specs for, you know, we're looking for Caucasian, we're looking for this. You know, I have experienced what that has been like. And I just wanted to share with them from my perspective. And I said, David, can I come do a workshop? Didn't know what workshop I was going to do, but I knew I was going to create it. And I was going to speak from the heart and share something that had really probably never been shared. And he said, without hesitation. Absolutely. But then he called me back a week later and said, you know what? I actually want to create a role for you here at the agency. And I'd like for you to be the director of empathy because I believe that empathy is truly the ingredient that is so essential for anything to truly change in our country and in our world. And I said, well, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And I accept. And I accept. What a gift. Also to be prepared for such an assignment for me is the true gift. And to know that I have walked this journey, my, my, I guess my lifetime of healing myself is what has prepared me for such a, an awesome assignment, you know? And it's so cool because I know that we've read a lot of the same, you know, personal growth books and on the similar, you know, we have similar spiritual beliefs and member of the same spiritual community, Agape, and, you know, here and there. And um, yeah. and so we're very aligned. And so when you say you co-create with life, this mm. this specific story that you're telling is like 
such an example for me because it happens in my life as well. It's like you do the work and you show up and all of a sudden a company, a, a massive corporation, you know, or a company then creates a position out of thin air that's ideal for what your gifts are to share with the world. That's like, that is the perfect example of how we are co-creators. And when we do the work on ourselves, the universe answers and provides us with the path and the avenue and the opportunity. Absolutely. That's it. And so that has really been how my life has gone for most of my adult life, but I had so much resistance many years ago because I thought I had to go upstream, right? I have to create it. I have to knock down the doors. And then going through a healing journey, which I look forward to sharing in a moment, you know, I now realize I really don't have to do that much work. The work is so internal and it's, it's exponentially profound the amount that you can get done if you just work on we, if I just work on my internal landscape, my emotional landscape, it gives me chills to think that this is really like, what a great gift to be alive and to be able to do this. And all of us can do this. Mm. Yes. And that is the healing. That is the, that's what yes. we're here for. That's what we're, I yes. just interviewed Gary Zukoff and he's talking about the earth school and how we for the last however many thousands of years, we've been pursuing external power out of survival. Right. And we are in this middle of a shift in consciousness where we turn it within. Mm. And all of our outside circumstances are reflecting back to us the wounds and the fears that we still harbor within ourselves. So it's so nice to meet a sister that is on the same, same. awareness journey. And, yes. and, you know, it's not always easy, but to if right. someone's out there triggering you, treating you unfairly, violating you in some way rather than make them the enemy. Mm. It's turning within and going, where where am I calling in this into my life? Or, you know, where where do I still need to heal so that I don't need this experience to teach me? Exactly. Exactly. And that's such a Kelly, I think you'll agree it's a tough one. You know, it's a tough one. It is a big pill to swallow. How dare you say that I am responsible for this horrible thing that is happening to me or has happened to me. And I like to look at it more so, okay, it's unknowing. We didn't, we don't, we're not knowingly doing this. But if we really do understand that we are all vibrational beings, there is nothing that is solid on this planet. We're all vibrating at, at different speeds. That's science, right? I can't make this up. So if we're all vibrating at different speeds and whatever speed we're vibrating at, we're having life experiences that also mirror that vibration. Well, that's just math, right? And I really want to look at what if we understood the superpower that we have to focus and shift our vibration to the higher levels and then watch the world around us transform. Wow. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And we do have that superpower. We do. And it's just developing the awareness so that we can, again, turn within and shift our own frequency and then watch the world around us shift yeah. as well. And, and then, yes, and understanding that we have literally been told and, and suppressed out of the knowing that that is our superpower from the time that we are the first no, right? Our first no. You can't do that. We're a toddler and we're, you know, we're literally programmed out of our knowingness. I remember being a young person and always being in connection with spirit. 
I don't even know what I called it. I just was in conversation always and creating as I went along. And I remember really just kind of creating magic, saying this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and having this wonderful, very normal experience until I was basically moved out of it by our society, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep, cultural conditioning. Yeah. And we're all in it, like fish in the ocean. We yes. don't know we're in it, but yes. we're in it. That's right. I would definitely want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I would want to talk about that. Just like with healing, there is no one-size-fits-all solution for hair care. Shampoos and conditioners that work well for your hair might not work for mine. I have been searching for clean hair care that actually works for my hair for a long time. To be real honest, most of the clean shampoos and conditioners I've tried are just not as effective as the luxurious not-so-clean options. Either they don't get my hair clean enough or they make my hair drier than before. That is why I was so excited to discover Pros. Pros makes custom hair care that's effective because it's personal. Using natural ingredients with proven results, Pros customizes every product in your routine from shampoo to supplements. How do they know what you need? They start with an online consultation where they ask you everything from hair type and length to stress levels and diet. They even ask for your zip code to analyze the environmental factors such as air pollution, wind, humidity, etc. Based on my answers, Pros determined the unique blend of ingredients for all of my different hair products. Finally, a thoughtful solution that actually works. And the supplements make sure I am strengthening my hair from the inside out. And one other thing I love is that Pros is the first custom beauty brand to go carbon neutral. That is no small feat. All of their ingredients are ethically and sustainably sourced and cruelty-free. And lastly, if you are not 100% positive Pros is the best hair care you've had, they will take the products back, no questions asked. So you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name on it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash heal. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash heal for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. As flu season approaches and our vitamin D levels drop, it is an important time to make sure we are taking a protective multivitamin. Did you know that 97% of women ages 19 to 50 are not getting enough immune-strengthening vitamin D from their diet? And 95% are not getting the recommended daily intake of brain-protecting omega-3s? Well, let's turn those statistics around with Ritual. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill nutrition gaps in the diets of women over 18. It is formulated with nutrients to help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and antioxidant support. And Ritual didn't stop there. Determined to create the most transparent supplement company out there, they invested in a gold standard university-led clinical trial to prove the impact of the Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin. The results? It was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in 12 weeks. The findings were published in leading scientific journal, Frontiers in Nutrition. I took Ritual prenatal vitamin all throughout my extremely healthy pregnancy. They also have a postnatal vitamin, an essential multivitamin for women over 50, multivitamins for men, a sugar-free gummy for kids four and over, and a new protein powder. What I love about Ritual is that they use traceable and vegan-friendly ingredients, and they commit to third-party testing from USP and the Non-GMO Project, so I always feel confident about what I'm putting in my body. 
Right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash heal and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash heal. I'm Sinead Grimes-Beach. And I'm Annalyn McCord. After years spent playing best friends on screen on 90210. And fighting like hell behind the scenes. Ah, yes. How could I forget? (laughs) We made it out of our time in Young Hollywood on a show that shared names with the most iconic zip code in the world. Bonded for life, but not without a shit ton of baggage in tow. Now we are back together letting it all hang out on our new podcast, Unzipped. Tune in and unzip with us and our brilliant guests every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. So you mentioned a healing journey. Do you want to share with us? Yeah, my fast track to healing. My healing journey started when I was 21 and I was going through some really tough times in college. You know, bad things were always befalling upon me, you know, whether it was, you know, didn't pay speeding tickets and my license is suspended to just always something going on. And so I don't remember exactly what was going on, but things were tough. And I got on my knees and prayed. Now, you know when you get on your knees, I, I don't know about you is, but when you, I got on my knees and prayed, I mean, things were pretty bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I literally got on my knees. And I went to a Catholic school most of my life. And so therefore I had the blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. That I'm used to playing, praying to. And on this particular day, I just, you know, pictured my blue eyed, blonde hair Jesus. And I just looked up at him and I said, who are you? who are you? And what is this all about? That was what I said out loud. That was my prayer. And the next day, someone knocked at my door. And when I got to the door, no one was there. And I looked down and there was the book Celestine Prophecy. What? The year was 1995. And I was shook. And I, I, by, at that time, reading was not a big thing. I was not a part of my daily regimen. And I picked up the book and it took me a couple months. And I read that book. And yes, yes, everything in my body said yes mm-hmm. to this. Even though we know that it is a fictional novel, it is simply based on the laws of the universe and the laws of attraction. And so I started to live my life as if that was true. And when I tell you my life just started to turn around and it was amazing, right? I was just magic. I was just walking around being magic. And then something happened where I started to put my focus on someone who had done something wrong. And I started focusing. I had a friend and we were both focusing on this person and he did us wrong and da 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 And it was like falling from the heavens. It was like falling to earth. And I couldn't get the magic back. And I couldn't understand why. So cut to, that's a, it's a really important part of the back backstory. So cut to 10 years later. Now I'm a mother and I go on this journey of wanting to go to Sierra Leone to create a documentary that follows the path of a diamond from the earth all the way to the consumer. Because my friend Saul Williams had recently went to Africa and run into a young amputee boy. And he comes back and he's telling us of this story and I'm shook, right? I'm shook because 
He tells me that this young amputee boy, his arm was cut off because of the war that was happening in Sierra Leone, and it was fueled by diamonds, and I just, it was overwhelming. But the overwhelming part was, A, where was this little place called Sierra Leone? Two, diamonds come from Africa? Like, where my people come from? You know, like, these are all of the things that I just didn't know about. So I'm wanting to follow this path, right? So I find myself four years later, and I, you know— blood, sweat, and tears, tried to get the money to do this documentary, and I finally get there. I get off of the plane, and every hair on my body stands on end. I smell a smell that smells like ancient history. Everyone looks like my mother, my father. There's my uncle Ernie. There's my Aunt Easter. There's my Aunt Minnie. There's my grandmother. There's like my grandfather picking up my luggage. Like it is, it's so incredible. And I can't tell you what it feels like to go to a place where everyone looks like you, especially having been raised in a place where I didn't feel like I belonged. I felt like I was tolerated, but not wanted, right? I felt like, okay, well, she's here now, but you know. So I didn't care if this place was the least developed country on the planet. This, these were my people, and this was home, right? And that's how I felt. And I, I landed in Senegal two days prior to it, and it was equally as divine and stunning, and the women were looking like gazelles. It was amazing. But it was something about Sierra Leone that was just stunning to me. And so I lived in a diamond mining village for three months. There was a school in the middle of the village that had been burned down by the rebels during the war. And we told the story of this this young boy. Um, and I fell in love with the villagers. And I came back. And, well, before that, basically, we started a school, right? The long story short is there was a school in the middle of the village. It had no walls and no roof. But there were 100 children gathering every single day to go to this shell of a building. I had never seen a thirst for knowledge like that. For me, going to school was something I had to be forced to do. It was something that was deeply unenjoyable. And so to see these children have such pride and such love for learning, I decided I had raised $5,000 outside of my film budget. And I decided that I was going to use this to put a new roof on the school cement the floors. It was actually my director at the time who said, you need to invest this money into something that will last. And it's important to note that because my mind was very Western-minded, right? I would have used that money to buy everybody uniforms. Just, you know, really not understanding the lay of the land, we'll say, right? And so I did that. I did just that. And the next thing we know, voila, the school was born. Um, one of the greatest moments of my life was driving to six different villages to get the wood for the roof for the school from a truck that we borrowed from the United Nations and going to get school supplies and everything. And when we pulled into the village after this arduous, long, laborious trip to pick up everything, the entire village spills into the street singing and dancing, saying they always say they'll come back, but they never do. Ugh. I mean, I, I just still, if I take myself back to that moment, I can just feel myself being, 
you know, rot and what that meant, what that meant. So that was the beginning of Shine on Sierra Leone. <laughs> but little did I know. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes, the quote of my lifetime, is by the Oshawa tribe. If you're coming to help us, you're wasting your time. If you're coming because you know that your liberation is bound up in ours, then let us work together. Wow. I didn't know what that meant back then. And it is probably the most profound, most true. It is. It just, it is us. And so I came back to Los Angeles and I launched Shine on Sierra Leone and I'm getting my friends involved and we're raising money and things are going good. Building another classroom. And then about two years in, I hit a wall of depression. It was like a 300-foot concrete wall, right? I couldn't figure it out. And Kelly, people would say, oh, I love what you're doing in Sierra Leone. And I would feel like a fraud inside, right? Because I knew something was off, but I didn't know what it was. And so in fashion, I just looked up and said to the universe and said, what am I not getting? What is this feeling? Please tell me. And that began a journey over the course of a year of me just diving deep. Now, a little bit about myself at the time. I was the mother of a seven-year-old daughter. I could barely make ends meet, and I had absolutely no business starting an organization, <laughs> taking care of anybody else's children. Okay, not at all. And I started to meditate every day. I started to try on something that was called at the time shifting my mindset, mm -hmm. right? And that meant only focusing on what felt good, what I wanted, and putting no attention on what didn't feel good and what I didn't want. So that meant a couple of things. It meant that I let go of watching the news, right? It also meant that I had to let go of a certain friendships and relationships that were rooted in complaining, and that was our bond, right? Like I would have the, the one friend that you get together and talk about how hard it is to get a job or the one, you know. Yeah. And so I had to let those go. And I did this Jedi mind trick style, right? Like I would stop and just look at the flowers. I would look at trees and just spend 60 seconds with a leaf falling in love with it right? My daughter felt it. But the most important thing is her father, the father who hadn't contributed to her life up until that point. And I made it my business to let him know that he was the worst father on the planet, mm -hmm. right? That was my job. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> yes. And so I gave it up and I decided to put all of that aside and make sure that I could do whatever it took to make sure that her and her father had a good relationship, even if that meant me taking her to see him every weekend and just operated out of love. He felt the difference. My daughter felt the difference. Everyone did. And within three months or so, my life was very different. Within a year, my life was unrecognizable. As I was coming out of my metamorphosis, something really magical occurred. When we first opened the school, it was ranked number 736 out of 736 schools. <laughs> so we could only go up from there. And also when we first opened the school, I created a list of affirmations with the children. There were 10 of them. 
All of my needs are met. I have friends all around the world. My teacher loves me. I'm an excellent student. I'm a sponge for knowledge, on and on. And the children would say them in the morning and in the afternoon. But these children had the magic ingredient. They would sing them. They would dance them, right? They loved these affirmations, right? I love it. I love it. And they had been saying them for maybe about five years or so now, right? And when I called, as I was emerging out of my own cocoon, I found out that our school was now ranked number five out of 736 schools. Wow. Today it's ranked number two out of 736 oh schools in the region, right? And that was when I got that tap on the shoulder. And that tap said, there's your proof of concept. Investing in the inner development is equally as important as investing in the outer development, if not more. Mm. And see, this was 15 years ago. And it's important to understand that 15 years ago, having this type of conversation about energy and investing in a child in Africa's inner development, they were like, what are you talking about, right? Mm -hmm. I couldn't go to any conference and raise money in that way. And so this proof of concept was something that I really needed to be able to show. We didn't have the best teachers. We had great teachers that loved their students, but we didn't, we didn't have anything other than this mm -hmm. going on for us, right? And so that's when that became the ethos of Shine On. Um, and I understood that what was wrong with me and Shine On. I was going around and preaching their sad stories, right? Mm. I was believing and aligning with them that their government was corrupt, right? And that poor them and that it was hard when instead I could be focusing on the power of who they are and helping them to know the power of who they are, right? And so I, I shifted that completely inside of me to even when I would spend time there, instead of looking at what I was looking at as, oh, wow, you know, that looks sad, just literally seeing beauty, mm. seeing the beauty of it, seeing the, the power in it. It's such a small thing, but it's enormous. Mm -hmm. And so I changed our name from a charity to a partnership, right? And I asked them if they indeed wanted to be our partners. And so we started to work together in that way. And that is the beginning, right? <laughs> that was the beginning of the, the, a real shift in my healing um, and my understanding of how we're made and what we're made of. And... 10 years into doing the work in Sierra Leone, 10 years, six computer literacy centers later, um, thousands of children being educated, children and women's healthcare center with 30,000 people being seen each year and over 10,000 microloans for women and men to start or expand a business with a repayment rate never under 95%. That under the bridge, 10 years into this, it's been 15 years now, I decided to get my DNA test done. And I found out that my entire maternal lineage is from a little lady in Sierra Leone. Oh my gosh. Wow. And so it was my, again, that tap on the shoulder that I was really being called home by, by the ancestors to do this work with the community. And here's what that did for me. In a time where 
you know, I Shine on Sierra Leone was started when the the cool organizations were started, mm-hmm. right? Like the charity waters and the, you know, like the super organizations and wanting to have the great idea, the Millennium Villages, like who's going to win, you know, even with the United Nations, like the Millennium Development Goals, we got to get, you know, that whole sense of competitiveness. I was definitely a part of that and wanting to have the best idea mm-hmm. to shift and change things. What happened when I found out I was from Sierra Leone is that all fell away because I realized that I was just being called home and we're here to work together and we're create, we're planting seeds that may bloom this lifetime. They may bloom many lifetimes from now. And this is, I'm a part of such a bigger story. Mm. And it feels so good. And it really took me out of that ego, which is a big part of the work that we do, and into self and into the whole. Yes. I love that. It makes me think of Mother Teresa's quote that I love. It's like, there's something to do, and I'm, I'll probably mess it up <laughs> royally, but it's it's like, there's there's no great things. Do not aim to do great things. Exactly. Do small things with great love. Mm, and I so for each of us that want to mm. feel like our purpose needs to be so big and global and, you know, e- like eternal, and we want to be infamous or whatever our drive is, it's like, no, if we tend to our small patch of garden on the earth. Yours happens to be in Sierra Mm. Leone. And we go to whatever home we're called to do the work. That's right. Then we create this diverse, biodiverse love garden on the planet of, you know. Yes, yes, yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, So I love that. What makes me think of is scale. Scale was such a big part of that time and period that I'm talking about. You know, organizations... Everyone wanted to know, well, what's your scale plan? How will you scale? I know. I was going to ask you that. I'm like, not even about scale, but like, how can we take what you do and duplicate it? Like, beyond really. And that's, you know, know, that's the culture that we are a part of. And what I realized when this happened is that for me, it is about scaling inward. And what that actually looks like, the work is never done yet. We have this great story. But we have so much individual work and trauma to heal within the people that we work with. Sure, this can be somebody else can do something similar. Absolutely. But it should not be looked at as though the work is done once you take it and completely duplicate it. That depth, that excavation, right, that is necessary for us to continue to live each and every day. I'm working on myself daily. Mm-hmm. So, so as uh, <laughs> there's so many directions I want to go with this, I'll get to your daily practices yes. later. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, you even talked about it before and I heard you say, you know, you're trying to help get these aid-dependent this aid-dependent village out of dependency, and you're doing that now as a partnership. And Mm -hmm. just the fact that um, you told a story of how even in that region, it was it's looked at as the white man has the power and the money that because they're always the one that show up in the aid uniforms. Definitely. And so (laughs) (laughs) I think that it's just it's so interesting where even these kids are associating you know, this this idea of 
appearance. Mm. And and then you you shift to talk about your work in as a casting director and and really focus on representation. Mm. And I would love for you to share the story of why representation is so important. Mm. Because I think that there's a lot of people listening who still don't understand, or especially a lot of yeah. white people listening that yeah. We just, again, we're fish in the water. We grew up, all we saw was white people on TV, white people That's in the right. magazines. And yeah. so we've, we're just like innately yeah. included. That's we're, right. We're normal, you know, exactly. and, but for a little girl, mm. you know, you told the story. Tell us the story of when you first realized you were black yeah. and that disconnection mm. and then later reconnection with oh, your yes. true self. Yeah. Uh, it started on a Monday, second grade, and I went to a private school, Catholic school, nuns and all. And there were about three black children in the class. You know, that was pretty much the ratio. And it started on a Monday. I just became really curious. And I started to look at everyone around me. And so I'm looking at Kelly and I'm like, okay, her hair is yellow and it swings like that. And I'm looking at, you know, uh, Mary and her hair is black, but it also swings like that. You know, so, and then I go home and on the way home, I'm looking at every billboard right? And so this entire week, I'm studying. I'm studying my environment. And I go to my baby book, and it says, welcome, Tiffany, to the world, new baby girl. But there's a drawn picture of a white baby, right? And so I'm looking for myself everywhere. And yes, if I were to turn on the TV, there were a couple of Black TV shows, but that was it. You know, and on the black TV shows, I couldn't find someone that was my complexion. Now, that is something I was obsessed with. I needed to see dark skinned Tiffany doing her thing <laughs> as an adult. <laughs> I was looking for that. I needed to feel validated, right? So I couldn't find myself. So on Friday, I get in the car with my mom and I say, Mom, I give her all of my data, I just share. I found this, I saw this, and she goes, oh, that's because you're black. And it was as if the world shut down on me. And I decided I don't want to be black because everywhere I looked in the world, I didn't see anything that felt and looked beautiful that was black. And so shortly thereafter, I found myself in music class, right? And I'm sitting there with the teacher and I walk in the class and kids are going nuts and she's telling them, I've told you so many times, sit down, raise your hand, you know, and then I will call on you. You can ask for the instrument that you want, right? Nobody's listening. And so I just had the mind to sit and perfectly raise my hand, right? And she calls on me and she says, Tiffany, Go choose your instrument. And from now on, you never have to ask. You can just come right into class and get your instrument. And for some reason, from that moment, I learned that if I were to just be good, just be nice, just be smiling, kind, and happy, that I could get what I wanted in this world that didn't look like me. And so also within my own family, when I went to visit my cousins in Detroit, 
you talk like a white girl, you know, like that whole, I wish that my butt was bigger. Like I just (laughs) did not feel like I was black enough for my black people, my black family and my black friends. And obviously I wasn't white. So what that did is I grew up, I started to, I went through a couple of phases. One, I fought to go to public school so that I could be with my black community, right? So that I could feel more like myself. But after graduating and getting into the big white world, I became a master at assimilating. Assimilating and giving away parts of my blackness so that I would just fit into any room that I went into. And not until I stepped off that plane in Sierra Leone at 33 years old, did I, for the first time, feel proud to be a black person, a black woman. And I started to pull parts of myself that had been missing for so long. The greatest gift of my life. What's interesting about this is I understand now that these are the symptoms of, this actually keeps white-centric culture in place. A part of me disassociating with myself, right, also meant that I would disassociate with other people who weren't playing the part that I thought that they should be playing to fit into society in the right way, right? So, oh, well, this person, and I'm going to just, you know, it's actually funny because I feel like this is such a private moment, but I want to share it and I think it's important. But referring to someone in my community as ghetto, not okay, right? Mm -hmm. Not okay. And that is a part of white supremacy is this idolation of the dominant culture and assimilating, just simply assimilating to the dominant culture. So I, you know, I learned that and it's been such a gift for me to share that with the young people that are in my life now here in the States today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why it's so representation just to show young kids that they're we, we need to de-dominize the culture. Yes. So back to that, I wanted to see myself so that I could feel uh, that I belonged here, literally just belonged on planet Earth. Mm. Now, another thing, so I, you know, I've really been studying culture, right? And white-centric culture. And can I ask you a question? Yeah. When I say the word white supremacist, what are the images that come to mind? Well, had I not educated myself after George Floyd was killed, I would picture KKK members with white hoods, skinheads or neo-Nazis, you know, the extreme white supremacists. But what I know now is that this belief in white supremacy is actually much more subtle and insidious. And it's actually a belief that's woven into the fabric of our nation, which was disturbing to find out. And it still exists in many of the institutions today. That's right. White supremacy is truly what's embedded in our everyday lives. Correct. And that we are all a part of perpetuating it, Mm -hmm. all of us. And so when I talk about assimilation, when I talk about othering of my community and just unknowingly perpetuating white supremacy in my own life, it's just so important to understand that. So history... Oh, that's a big one. That's a big one. I would sit in history class completely bored out of my life. I couldn't even keep my eyes open. And now I understand why, right? Mm -hmm. I literally be falling asleep. And 
everything in history that I learned about, and of course you know this, was a perspective of the story that showed white dominance. And the only time that I saw my people were these sad, sad drawings of slavery. Mm -hmm. That was the only time. Did I know that the first heart surgery was performed and made possible by a black man? Did I know that one of the first or the first female millionaire was a black woman? Did I know that we had a black Wall Street and we were doing our thing in 1921? No, I actually believed that we were inferior because all of the evidence shows it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a couple of black doctor here, you know, our lawyer there, but the evidence is here. How can a young person feel good about themselves and believe and get affirmation of what they can be or do? Yes, you have the outliers who go beyond and believe in themselves, but that's not the mass consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so taking care of each other means that we create a society and a world that educates us about the whole and one another. And now that we know that, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Yes. Such an important conversation because even myself, you know, I grew up in Long Beach, went to public schools. Yeah. I was, you know, whites were kind of a minor- minority mm-hmm. in, in my population. And my first, you know, CD I bought was Dr. Dre's The Chronic. Like I would never, <laughs> ever think I had an ounce of racism in my body. I'm like, that was a great know, album. It was the greatest. <laughs> Still know every word. But um <laughs> That's awesome. But once, you know, obviously George Floyd happened and like I I was compelled to read and educate myself about white supremacy in our nation and how deeply embedded it is just in the fabric of every institution. And and we all are perpetuating it unknowingly Mm. or, you know, a large group of the population is doing it knowingly. But but that's such a small part of the problem, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so much more. That's the tip of the iceberg, yeah. I guess you should say. And so to understand that and not be triggered by white supremacy, I have a whole new definition of it now. I have a whole new perception of it now. And even oh, to the God. fact where, like, white people are only, you know, mm. to say, oh, they're not that black. Like, what? <laughs> like, they're no, they're educated. He went to Stanford. They're not that black. It's like, so you've heard for, that, huh? For people who, you know, yes. that was like the norm growing up. It's like they're not, they're you know, not he's, he's, it's just crazy that that's even in like, so, and and mm, just to get down to this, yes. just to get down to the fact that mm. genetically we are like 99%, there's this, is, the skin pigmentation is just skin pig- pigmentation. It has yeah. nothing to do with, that's why I love agape so much. I walked in and it's the most... Mm-hmm represented, it is the microcosm truly. of the human truly. family. It it's truly is. Black, white, yellow, purple, yes. rich, yes. poor, yes. fat, thin, young, old, so good. gender, you know, everything. And that's where we're headed. That's where we are going, you know. And But representation and what you and others have done in media to try and say, mm-hmm. look, we need to de-dominize the white you know, population and media so that we can show everybody that we're all equal. There's everybody has a role to play. Everybody is a beautiful, you know, different looking flower in the garden, you know? Truly. 
So, and I just love your approach because I'm sure there's anger. I'm sure there's so much pain and emotion and mm -hmm. you want to fight against. So, but how do you see the next 20 years going? I mean, <laughs> we felt like Martin Luther King Jr. did so much in his, you know, for civil rights and, and everybody that marched and, you know, put their lives at risk with him. But yeah. what, like, what do you see is, is our work the next our 20 work. years? Wow, this is big. I believe that there's a broader conversation beyond race and gender that encompasses all of this, right? And it's making the decision of how are we going to treat each other? Are we going to take care of each other? Are we going to do it or not? And this, it really, it's, it's how I live my life as far as you know, if I believe that what I focus on, I attract more of, it's just, that's what it is. Like, that's just it. Yeah. I'm not going to like, well, but not this time while I'm talking about, when I'm talking mess about this person, you know, because that person was bad. I'm not going to, you can't try it on and try it off. Are we going to take care of each other or not? And if we are, then the process of dismantling and unpacking and unraveling a white-centric world it will start by everyone starting with their individual self and what is at reach around them. And that is something I really like to just take a moment and pause about because when we talk about these issues, they seem so enormous and we have this idea that we have to go out and change the world. Mm -hmm. But I truly believe, and I am participating in this way, that it's, our, it's concentric circles. It starts with me and whatever my reach is around me. May I share an example of that? Please. So a year ago, well, April 27, 2020, in the span of 30 minutes, I inherited my brother's four children, all teenagers, 13, 14, 15, 16. Oh, my gosh. Whoa. <laughs> back to back Every teenagers. Every part of puberty. Wow. Girl. Um, Hormones. I mean, and I was living a life where I had raised my daughter. She's 22 now. So I had just become an empty nester. And I was, you know, living in my little cabin with my cute little cabin in Topanga. And all of a sudden, I have this enormous responsibility so it really grounded me, it steadied me. And I immediately thought, huh, so my liberation is bound up in them. Wow, couldn't have imagined it, but okay, let's do this. And when I said that and fully embraced that, it felt literally as if the world just opened up and held me and supported me. It's one thing for us to say, you know, we use sister and brother a lot. We have really deep connections with people. That's my family. That's my sister. But I got to experience community showing up in action, probably for one of the first times in my life. Because, yes, your friends will take you out to dinner when you're feeling sad, talk about a you know broken heart and these things. But taking on four children, you have to have a village. So I got to experience community in action. Wow. I also had something extraordinary happen. I immediately lost the desire to be on this wheel of trying to get somewhere, mm. right, that I had been on, right? Just 
where's the next place I'm going? You know, like, can't wait to get there. And then experience that joy for a little bit. And then where's the next place I'm going? All of a sudden, I feel this enormous sense of right here, right now, today. I get to choose to be stressed out because there's another dish in the sink (laughs) that was left there or lovingly have a conversation or wash it and experience growth from that moment. I mean, it's it's astounding Mm. and it's challenging. And if I can get through this, I am impacting the world by just working on these five, because I have five children, these five relationships and my mother, (laughs) which is a whole other relationship, (laughs) right? And really taking those as they come on a daily basis, that's my growth. That's my expansion. And that is my contribution. Wow. So if in the next 20 years, we were just to focus on what was around us. And for me, that also includes being a casting director, being a director of empathy, and and making sure that we are celebrating humanity. You know, inclusion, we can call it that, but I like saying celebrating humanity. Let's celebrate each other. Mm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love, I mean, this liberation quote that Mm. you said, I, you know, it's now affecting me so profoundly. It's like, my liberation is bound up with yours. yours. Like, I'm just thinking, it's a, you know, people know me. They know that I've got a, (laughs) person in my life where I don't want my liberation to be bound up with them, but it is. And so to just switch your perspective, it's so, it's Mm. so profound and so simple. And it's just a way, again, it's like not making the other, not making the out, the exterior, the external, the you know, institutions and behemoths of like this massive social changes that are needed. That's so overwhelming. But just to go, no, what is here? What is now? What is Mm -hmm. in my life where I can turn within? Mm -hmm. And they're the catalyst for my work, for my growth. My liberation is bound up with them. And that just brings us into the present and takes us out of the overwhelm of trying to turn the tanker all by ourselves. It's like, let's do what we can do Do. in our daily lives Mm -hmm. to celebrate our humanity and others and connect and heal ourselves so that we can be compassionate to other people. Yes. And we will have opportunities. We have opportunities all day, every day, just right in front of us. There's an email right now that's in your box and you can decide on how you want to respond. You can decide if you want to be annoyed again that this person is doing that. You know, these are the, the these micro, I want to say they're micro, but they're like the most powerful yeah. uh, things that we can do. And then there is that one person who will be able to vote yes or no on a bill and be able, it's sitting in that Congress seat. Everybody has to do it. But if we all do that, we got a beautiful something ahead. I'm like, I got something ahead. I know. <laughs> and it's like, but also just, again, going back to your example of you create the shift in yourself. You do the metamorphosis, the kids singing their affirmations for five years, and you move 743 yes. right. rungs up the ladder. That's right. 
you do the work and you turn within and you're doing the meditation and all of a sudden you're the director of empathy, a, a role that was created for you. Shifting our own energy sends out waves of creation that are so powerful. Yes. And don't yes. underestimate. That's, again, don't Mother Teresa, there's, it. you know, don't focus on doing great things. Do small things with great love. I uh, love that one. That was That's a good one. That Yes. So real quick, because you're so, you're doing the work. You're such an example of love and connection and just healing. You're healing a village and a lineage in Sierra Leone. You're healing mm. yourself. You're it's still hard to hear that, by yeah. the way. I don't. I don't actually <laughs> feel comfortable. It's like I'm not doing that. But you're, I know those people. Yes. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're a light worker for sure. Okay. Um, who have been some of your for people mm. out there that like want to tap into their own magic and reconnect with themselves? Who have been a couple of your favorite teachers? Mm. Whether it's in the form of mm. a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, what are your daily practices that you Ooh, rely on? Okay, okay, okay. Um, my absolute baby is Esther Hicks. Yes. <laughs> that is just, oh, I I know that I was a part of bringing Abraham through. I was one of the, the, the million, like, desires that was a part of that. So Esther Hicks, uh, Abraham is my my go-to. I, I'll tell you about that in my daily practices. But Esther Hicks, Wayne Dyer, just... I mean, I love him so much. Same. Oh, I love him so much. And, oh, new play of last two years, I think it's been Mark Nepo. Oh. 7,000 Ways to Listen. He's a poet, but I like to call him a retriever. He is a retriever of the most beautiful. His words are wands. So he is my absolute favorite, and I've been spending time with him. Uh, Sadhguru is lovely as well, and he has a new book called Karma, and it so, so beautifully unpacks the misuse of the word and term karma, how it's really just so well to f- explain. It's, mm. That's a great one. Okay. And, Yeah. I think that's it. Okay, cool. Those are good ones. Yeah. I also, Abraham Hicks, and I mean, I would just listen, Wayne Dyer, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Mind, and Abraham Hicks on repeat, running, you know, miles and miles and driving, commuting to auditions that I'm sure you were a part of. Yes. Um, (laughs) I love it. So what are your... What daily, daily practices? practices yeah. So what I've done is over the years, I have collected and I have a toolbox, right? And I just allow myself to be inspired to know what I want to do for in a, in a particular day, right? So no matter what, TM, when I first wake up, mm. no matter what. That's transcendental meditation Thank for those you. of you. Thank you very well. much. And if I can do it twice a day, great. Some of the other things I might pepper in is a, an om meditation. Um, that's an out loud meditation. Chanting Nam Yoho Renge Kyo for 10 minutes. Oh, yummy. And a little bit of, it's just a little yoga. It's like teeny, teeny, mm-hmm. <laughs> teeny, teeny. And then I do a 30-minute exercise with this wonderful teacher that I have on Zoom three times a week. And that just connects me to my body and makes me feel so good mm. because that's something that I hadn't done for many years. So that was a gift from the pandemic. 
Yes. Is movement. being able to get into that movement, right? Movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. They're beautiful. What I do want to say is this, and it's something that you would definitely know and are familiar with with Abraham, but it's the idea that contrast is really an essential part of creation. Yes. And that has really been the foundation of everything that I am today. When contrast, which is something that I don't have planned, something that does not meet my blueprint, something that does not feel good, happens in my life, I can pretty quickly shift to the knowing that, okay, a gift has arrived. And being able to shift my vibration and receive the answer to this contrast has been something that it moves me on so many levels. And so that understanding, this understanding that contrast is literally the gateway to all that we want, it really helps me feel more positive about what we could possibly achieve if we were simply all to shift our mind. Forget about what's happening right now. If we could raise our vibration as a unit, could you imagine? Mm. Yes. It's just a nice thought. It's such a nice Bask thought. Bask in that for a minute. <laughs> it's so true though, too. Like we we are we constantly fight against that contrast. We resist what we don't want coming into our life. We resist a behavior that our partner displays. We resist something that comes in that is not what we want. But if you listen to Abraham or Esther, in any of these teachings along these same lines, it's the contrast comes into our life to, sh- to show us what we don't want so then we can pivot to what we do want. Mm-hmm. And just like your beautiful awakening of, you know, letting go of the complaining, letting go of fixating on what that, the, the other, that what that person did to me and just really committing right. to focusing on what it is you do want, focusing mm-hmm. on love and how that shifts energy in you. And then all of a sudden, the father of your child is behaving differently. That's right. You shift you and everything around you shifts. And contrast is a gift. Something that we don't want is a gift. Some diagnosis Mm -hmm. is a gift to show us we need to focus on what we do want. Where where are we out of alignment with what we want? Yes. So thank you for sharing your magic, your story, your tools and practices and and learnings and experience. And I just, I'm so, we could talk forever. So I'm just, I'm so thankful that you're here today. And and I'm so happy to be here. The work you're doing in Sierra Leone as well. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's magic being with you. So where can people find you? And if, and, and I think, you know, if they want to support Shine on Sierra Leone, where can they find you personally and and support that organization? Absolutely. Shineonsierraleone.org. I uh, would love your support and come visit. Just come visit. It is a, something special to meet these children, to be in this environment. It's transformative. And you can find me on Instagram, Tiffany Persons. Awesome. <laughs> Go follow Tiffany. Thank you again. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to The Heal Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for more empowering wisdom and inspiring healing stories. Oh, and make sure you hit the follow button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss that one episode that holds the answer you've been searching for. And if you feel inspired, we would love you to rate and review us so that we have the opportunity to reach more people. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram for some behind the scenes fun and more inspiration at at Heal Documentary and at Kelly Gorris. Thank you so much and be well. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.